Welcome to another episode of Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General Podcast. I am Al, and with me, of course, is my good friend and co-host, Steve. So how are you? How's everyone doing? I'm okay. I do apologize. I am getting over a little bit of a cold at the time of this recording, so uh, hopefully I won't hack along out while uh, doing our recording here. For today's topic, we're going to be talking about something pretty mundane, but if you play video games, something that's still kind of important, and that is the instruction manual. Now, uh, instruction manuals have changed quite a bit over the years. Let's and let's think back to uh, first. Let's think back to the old days. Now, Steve, do you remember much of the video game manuals that came with, like, the old, like, Atari and ColecoVision games? I can't say I have. It's been a while. Yeah, and I... I, I didn't have the Atari, so this is basically over at the cousin's place, grabbing a game cartridge, putting it in, and just tapping away on the button. Yeah, and, and notice, of course, you said button, because, of course, this was the good old days when an Atari... Uh, had just one orange button for you to worry about. So I really don't remember much about most of the video game instruction manuals from back then, but I would imagine they probably were not very long or very complex. Let's face it, you had a button and a joystick. There really wasn't much you needed to do. Uh, you know, just know how to move around and, of course, uh, know whether the orange button is uh, for jumping or shooting. That was about it. There were, now there are a couple of examples that do stick out in my mind from that era. Now, I remember one game we talked about uh, when we were doing the old school episode, part one, we talked about Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now, I never... Well, I don't think I've seen the manual for it. If I have, I said it's been a while, but I'm sure that one was probably a little longer than your average instruction manual in those days because since it did have that very primitive inventory system, you needed to know what all these little things you were finding were supposed to do because the way that game worked, at least from what I remember it, there were times where you had to use a certain item in a certain place so while of course the video game manual would have gave the the backstory it also included more information on these different um, items you would find now there is other one other video game series from back in the atari age that i remember that is actually quite significant steve do you remember the sword quest series can't say i do that like I said, during that uh, Atari age, the only time I had experience with it was when I was visiting my cousin. Yeah. And then that was limited. Because the Sword Quest series was actually quite interesting for its day. Uh, for those of you who watch the Angry Video Game Nerd, he did have an episode where he covered the Sword Quest series. And I remember actually playing the first one, Earth Quest, back when I was a kid. Now, the general plot of Sword Quest is it was going to be a four-part series. Uh, Earth World was the first one, then Water World, then Fire World, and then finally uh, Sky World or Air World. I forgot which one, but basically 
it'd be based on the four classical Greek elements. And the story behind it, I remember, involved a brother and a sister. And they, it was actually kind of interesting the way they had the backstory told is they just didn't print it in the instruction manual. It actually included a comic book with the series as well. So the comic book, of course, didn't tell you how to actually play the game, but it did include hints. It told you about the characters and for the way their contests they were running back then, there were clues hidden in some of the pages that you had to look for. So I thought that was kind of interesting because it's probably one of the earliest examples of media that works outside of the game. Like I said, in this case, it was a comic book. Well, that was uh, big during that time before, you know, video games really became came out. Comic books was one of the means of entertainment for people. Yep. And I know, of course, uh, I remember your dad, he uh, had a huge comic book collection. Um, I did a little bit of comic book collecting. Did you ever collect many comic books or did you just pretty much read your dad's? Well, I've read my dad's and I collected a few myself. Basically, the ones I got were the ones that he didn't because why should I get double when I can read his? Yep. So maybe that's another topic we can explore another day, uh, do a show about comic yep. books. But for now, oh, gee, we got off topic. That, has that ever happened on this show before? I don't know. Let, let me check. Um <laughs> Looks like every time so far. Yeah, I know. Every show we have to get off topic at least once. Otherwise, it wouldn't feel like a, a show. But getting back to the topic at hand, we're going to now discuss the 8-bit and 16-bit era. The era of the Nintendo, the Sega Master System, the Super Nintendo, and the Sega Genesis. So we're going to be able to talk a little bit more about manuals from this period because this is when... We first started. We basically were getting video game systems ourselves. Yep, we were first starting to buy them, so we didn't have to go to a friend's house. And of course, when you buy a game new, chances are it's going to come with an instruction manual. At least it better. So the let's start with uh, Super Mario Brothers. Now, as we covered in the old school episode, Steve and I each had our different version of the Nintendo Entertainment System. When I got the set that included Super Mario Brothers Duck Hunt, and Steve, you got the one with Super Mario Brothers Duck Hunt and Track and Field. And do you remember the the did do you remember the manual for uh yours? I mean, did it come with cuz I believe with the Super Mario Brothers Duck Hunt, they did put both manual or both games rather into the same manual. Do you know if they... It's same with mine, but it was for all three. So, you know, it just makes sense, and it's kind of handy. That way you're not... Uh, you don't have two man. You only have one manual to lose instead of two. But uh, Super Mario Brothers have told you a little bit about the backstory, which was helpful because if you think about it... Let's go back to that era. Let's say you're playing Super Mario Brothers for the first time. When is the first time you'd really understand the story behind the game? when you read the uh, instruction manual. Yeah, but if you didn't actually read the manual, if you just started playing the game, okay, you know you're running through this land and you're jumping on... Yeah, you're, you're this plumber-looking guy running through this land, jumping on turtles, mushrooms, 
bombs. Yep, and then you get to, well, let's say you get to end of stage one, one. Okay, you slide down the flagpole, you go into the castle. What happens when you get to stage one, two? You fall in a pit. Yep, you're underground. And again, you're still jumping on mushroom-like things and turtles, uh, trying to avoid these toothed plants coming out of pipes. But again, remember, we're assuming we haven't read the instruction manual, so we don't know why we're doing this. You know, why do we go to underground? And of course, we get to, we're going to assume at this point, we don't know about the warp zone at the end of 1-2. So we get to 1-3, and well, now we're above ground again. And now we're going through a landscape that has lots of uh, platforms. But what's different about the castle when you get to the end of 1-3? It's bigger. Yeah, it's bigger. So like, okay, that's kind of interesting. Now I'm getting to an even bigger castle. Then we finally get to the end of this castle. And there's this little thing sitting there. We're not sure if it's a, a male or a female. And what does it say to us? Can't remember. Can't remember. <laughs> oh, Steve, you call yourself an old school gamer. Sean, you. Okay. Well, of course, when you get to the end of a castle for the first time, what does that little pipsqueak say to you? Thank you, Mario, but our princess is in another castle. So you think about it, four stages into the game, and now you finally realize, okay, I got to go rescue a princess. So, again, that would be if you didn't have the manual. And, of course, if you had the instruction manual, you'd just be able to read it. And, hey, okay, I got to save a princess from some guy named Bowser. And that's uh, including if you haven't played the first game called Mario Brothers, which you and uh, apparently your brother are plumbers and you're cleaning these pipes from flies, turtles, and stuff. Yeah, so how they got from uh, jumping around in the sewers to the Mushroom Kingdom, uh, that's one of those mysteries I'm sure someone has explored somewhere out there. So also another thing I remember about the Mario, uh, Super Mario Brothers instruction manual is there was the tips and tricks section at the end where it had a few little helpful hints about the game and of course in the duck hunt section of the manual they also told you a uh, you know nice little secret how two people could play you could have one person play the duck and try to avoid getting hit so that's something i think we played every now and then right no i don't think we played the two-player version of that now some of the other games of this time uh, i remember had some very interesting manuals uh, what's a manual from this time period that sticks out to you for you i would have to say legend of zelda that instruction manual other than giving you you know in the very beginning gives you the background story so you know what the game is roughly about and then the usual section on, hey, this is what this button does. Then the section, uh, okay, this is what all the different type of stages are in the game. Then it started going, hey, these are some of the items you can get. These are some of the monsters, you know. These are some of the weapons you can get. Yeah, and I, the way I always saw it is Legend of Zelda, the first one, didn't include an instruction manual. It included a work of art. Because one of the things I remember is in the first in the introductory story, there were like, I think like five or six full color pictures that described elements of the story. And one of the things I always thought was kind of cool is 
they had that map on the inside of the like the first couple pages that looks like someone had made a little model showing approximately what uh this land of hyrule would look like so i don't know about you but i always thought that was yeah and another instruction manual i remember from the time castlevania it not only did it include the story it also included the controls it talked about the different weapons and then it also had pictures of the enemies and i think a brief description of them as well as how many points that each enemy would give you so that was another manual that i always thought was pretty interesting um another one uh game that i know both of us have played star tropics well one thing about star tropics i know other than the usual things that they've been doing you know a little bit of backstory you know what the controllers and the different things in the game do it also came with extra feet or extra items that you you needed in order to play the game like this letter that had a watermark you had to get the paper wet and it would bring out the secret code that you needed in the game yeah and that's one thing i thought was very interesting uh because again it gave an example of something you did in the real world that you needed to do in order to complete the actual game and i have star tropics for the wii for the virtual console and of course they can't include the letter there so it's in the instructions section but again definitely very interesting because it kind of broke that fourth wall between the game and between you now another type of game that i enjoy playing for both the nintendo and the super nintendo role-playing games one of the things that was interesting about some of these games is they also included an overworld map which i remember final fantasy one was the first game i remember that came with a map so i thought that of course that was pretty interesting because since you had this wide world to explore you know it wasn't always easy to know okay which you know okay i have to go to so-and-so town well where is so-and-so town on this map it doesn't you know there's not signs that say so-and-so town uh you know it's the only way you would know a town is if you go to it previously and you someone mentions yeah this is town such and such yep, that's uh one of those nice things about the uh role-playing games from the uh 8 and 16-bit era usually you can bet that every town is going to have at least one person standing near the gate to the town and whenever someone walks by he goes hi welcome to the town of whatever yeah, so one of those little video role-playing game cliches that we uh, saw back in the day. Another game that actually took this a little step further. Uh, did you ever play any of the Dragon Warrior games? I played a few of them. Yeah, and I don't remember which one it was. I'm not sure if I don't think the first one did that. Did this? So it was either for Dragon Warrior two or three the not only did it have the fold-out map but on the other side it also had a chart showing the different types of uh, weapons and equipment and of course that was helpful because if you didn't have a manual or something to say the different powers and abilities of a weapon or a piece of equipment you didn't always know if it was really the kind of weapon or armor or whatever that you wanted to buy now of course usually you could 
tell what's going to be more powerful by the price. You know, there might be like a sword that costs 500 gold. And if there's a sword that costs 2000 gold, probably a pretty safe bet that the sword that costs 2000 gold is going to be is more powerful. Yep. But one of the things that I like about those charts, and they actually did kind of do this a little bit in uh, in game in I know Final Fantasy VI. Uh, but you know the the nice thing about this chart is it would say like okay, let's say you got you're going to buy a silver sword. It might say okay, attack plus ten. You know, iron sword attack plus fifteen, and so on. So again, you knew that, okay, well, if there's a weapon I can get that has an attack value of 15, but there's a weapon that, you know, is a little bit, maybe I might get a little bit later, but it only costs a little bit more, but it'll give me an attack value of 20, maybe I want to save up for that weapon. So that was one thing that was kind of nice about knowing what, uh, what the weapon and armor you could buy, what type of effect it would have. And Yeah, especially with armor. I, I can't remember the name of the game, but I remember it saying, okay, you know, it protected you, you know, using your plus things here, you know, it'd be like plus 15, but then you'd lose some attack speed. Yeah. Or you'd have just one armor where it'd be less attacks or less uh, defense, but higher attack speed, but it would cost the same. So it's all a matter of what perspective you want to go in. Are you in for attack speed or are you in for defense? Yeah, and that can certainly be helpful because, I mean, if you're fighting, if you're going to be going up to uh, fight a boss, for example, you know, you might very well decide that, okay, maybe I do want to have better attack speed instead of better defense. Another thing that would be nice would be if a weapon or armor had a special effect like fire sword, you know, it does fire damage or you know, ice armor protects you from fire. So it's always helpful to know things like that because if you're gonna going to be fighting, you know, the boss dragon in the volcano of doom, probably a safe bet that something that protects you from fire is gonna be really helpful, right? <laughs> or as I was saying a little bit before, uh, Final Fantasy VI kind of helped address this in game. What would happen whenever you went to an an armor store or a weapon store and you had your list of items you know would show the characters in your party and if the you know you move the cursor by the piece of equipment if the character could use it they'd be you know doing their cheering pose like they usually do at the end of a, a fight and it would also uh, tell you whether that item would give you a better attack power or defense than what you have or whether it would give you a lower attack or defense. There'd be a little arrow pointing up or down, or um, there'd be an equal sign if it was about the same. A chrono trigger for the Super Nintendo, that's another game that I know did this. I know Final Fantasy IV, the After Years, did this as well. And I mean, I'm sure there's been other games that have done this uh, you know, too, but uh, Final Fantasy VI is the first one I remember seeing it in, though I think maybe Final Fantasy IV did it as well. Yeah. And something about role-playing games, in my opinion anyway, always had the best instruction manuals. Because again, not only would they give you more background story, but you know, they usually have spell descriptions, you know, if there's magic in the game, brief descriptions of 
common items like healing potions or antidotes. Uh, a lot of times they would include fold-out maps. Some of them even came with a little walkthrough for the first stage of the game. Where the they would go, okay, what you should do at this point is this. You should do that. You should do this. Yeah, and those are always very helpful with role-playing games. Um, there's two games that I can think of off the top of my head that had those uh, mini walkthroughs. I know Breath of Fire for the Super Nintendo had one of those where, you know, tell you, okay, when you're in this first town, you should try to buy this, this, and this, and then go to this stage, you know, go to the castle, and then from there you want to go here, and it gave you some very general hints. Uh, Fantasy Star 2, I never actually owned a physical copy of it, but I have a friend who did, and I remember when I was at his house watching him play it, I was paging through the book, and again, it had that mini walkthrough. So, I, again, I thought that was pretty cool because if it was your first time playing, and, or if you just weren't familiar with role-playing games, sometimes it can be a little overwhelming. So this was very helpful for new players that maybe needed a little assistance on how to play a role-playing game. Yeah, which I, I think uh, for the games nowadays, one of the reasons why they got did away with that is is some of the games nowadays have tutorials in the game, mm -hmm. which is basically the walkthrough built into the game now. Yeah, and I, I know we could probably do another episode someday on video game tutorials. They're one of those things that I think some people like, some people don't mind, and some people just totally hate. I mean, I can see how they're really good when you're first playing the game for the first time. But if you're playing it again, then you really don't need that, uh, that tutorial stage. Yep. Luckily, a few games say, do you want the tutorial? And you go, no. Yeah, like one game that, uh, they're actually a game that we've talked about before, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. What the heck, since we're, we're getting off topic here. I like the way both Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 1 and 2 handle the walkthroughs. Because, you know, the way the walkthrough on... You mean the tutorial? The tutorial sorry. <laughs> The way the tutorial on Knights of the Old Republic 1 worked, again, you were still playing the game. Um, it gave you those little hints, but it wasn't holding your hand and telling you, okay, now press X to do this. Okay, now press Y to do this. And then, of course, on Knights of the Old Republic 2, uh, they had it set up where you could skip the tutorial if you wanted to. And, of course, if you yeah. wanted to play it, man, that's cool. If you didn't. No problem. You know, just mm. go to the navigation. Didn't affect the game. Yep, any. go to the navigation console and you can skip the tutorial. But another way that video game manuals can be helpful is when you're dealing with a game based on a cartoon or movie or book series that is popular somewhere else, but maybe not in the country you're living in. I don't think this is really much of an issue today, of course, you know, because we have the internet, you know, let's say you do hear about some anime series from Japan and you want to learn more about it. Well, you can always just 
look it up on the internet and you could probably find all the information you wanted to about the series. Didn't always quite work that way when we were younger back in the late 80s, early 90s. There's one game that I remember I purchased because I recognized the title and the characters. Do you remember Ranma One Half Hard Battle for the Super Nintendo? Yes, I do. Yep. Back when I we first saw it, now the only reason I recognized it is because I was at Gen Con and there was an anime club there that was showing these uh, these cartoons. So that's how I got hooked into Ranma One Half. So of course, when I learned there was a video game about it, I was eager to pick it up and play it because I liked the story and I liked the characters. And the manual was pretty cool. It had more information about the backstory of the Ranma One Half series. Told you a little bit about some of the characters, you know, Ranma, Akane, Ryoga, Shampoo, uh, and then etc. etc. Yep. So not and not only did it give you the background information on the game, it gave you the background information on the series. And of course, it included instructions on how to play the game. And of course, that was helpful because back when it was released, anime was still starting to become, it was still on the rise in America. It wasn't quite as popular in America as it is today. So before I move on, are there any other video game manuals from the 8-bit or 16-bit era that you fondly remember or that you thought were kind of cool? Uh, none that I can remember right now, but I'm sure it'll dawn on me later or when we talk <laughs> about some other topic and we'll go off track. And actually, there was one company I always liked the how they wrote the manuals. For some reason, Konami and their, I think Ultra was Games was one of their subsidiaries. They had a very interesting style in which they wrote the manuals where some of it kind of bordered on what they called English where it has mistranslations or, you know, somewhat humorous use of, of phrasing, I guess you could say. But mm -hmm. yeah, I always thought they had some interesting uh, ways of writing their manuals. So from here, we move to more of the present day uh, where video games, when they moved to the PlayStation, uh, Xbox, again, where we had video games move from cartridges to discs. discs. Now, I didn't really get into playing disc-based systems until 2004, and I think you were saying in our old-school video game episode, you really didn't get into the disc-based systems until after they uh, became popular. Yeah, when PS2 came out. Yeah, so I'm not, I don't remember too many of the, the manuals that I saw for those games, but something happened where it seems that they usually didn't contain as much information. Uh, usually it would have, of course, your safety warnings. Like, of course, if it's a Wii game, they're going to tell you, make sure the Wii, you know, the strap is tight. Make sure that there's enough room. But, yep. you know, other than that, usually it would just be very brief backstory. And then it would have like a picture of the control panel and say, okay, press this button to do this this button to do this and not really a lot just it didn't seem that the, they put as much work into manuals during this age that they did in the the 8-bit 16-bit uh eras now i'm sure of course there's exceptions that i'm just making a very general statement what are your thoughts on that yeah well from what i 
been seen in them because we're now getting more into the internet age where I can see where they probably were saving money and probably paper and stuff by going, if you want more information, go to this website. And then uh, also they would, you know, a lot of times you can press a, you know, a start button or press a menu button and it'll bring you up the menu and that's where you can look up controls. The, the one thing I noticed about the Wii now, do you have a Nintendo Wii? I, I forgot. Yes, I do. Yeah, do you have a lot of games for it or just a few or? Just a few. Yeah, I don't know if it's just me or maybe just the games I bought, but do the Wii manuals usually seem to be a little thicker than they should be? Yeah, well, let me check my here. Yeah, let's see here. It seems to be about normal. Yeah, because because it's got you know the warning section, a little bit background, our favorite, what the uh, buttons do, and then it's got you know the certain things, and then in the back it's got a couple blank pages where up on top it says notes. Yeah, and one thing I had noticed though about the Wii manuals, a lot of times they seem to be pretty thick because they do the multilingual now. Where back in the day, you know, we were just used to, you know, okay, the manuals in English, but nowadays it seems a lot of the Wii manuals, they're written in English, Spanish, and German. Or France, depending on what you get. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure it varies from company to company. Um, for my the Xbox games I've seen, usually I haven't seen the multilingual instruction booklets as much. So I don't know if it's just something that Nintendo likes to do. Yeah. So then the next stage of instruction manuals that I've been noticing would have to be in the PlayStation Vita. Because those things, because the cartridge case is, you know, only about six inches tall, maybe. That instruction manual would probably be small and thick if it was in there. But with the Vita... It doesn't even come with a instruction booklet. The instruction manual is actually built into the game. So you would need the game system in order to read the manual. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I personally think that sounds a little counterintuitive, uh, but I suppose it, maybe they can get away with it since it's a portable system. Well, I, I, I can see two things dealing with that. Because one... I somewhat like getting the instruction manuals, paging through it to see if, yeah, I like this game. Let me give it a shot. Or if I'm going through the thing and go, yeah, I don't like this, so I'm not going to get the game. But then another thing about the Vita with having the booklet in with the game, because you know how you get, it's a portable system, so you got a portable case. Your case ain't going to be holding all the instruction manuals and if you decide to play another game you're like okay how do i play this again since an instruction manual is in the game itself you can just insert the game bring up the guy and go okay that's what i have to do again all right back to the game yeah and i said i can see how in a way that could be helpful because you know you never know when you're going to have to call up instructions uh while you know playing the game the one of the things I've noticed is that it seems that part of the trend is that instruction manuals have been partly uh, 
I'm not sure what word I would use here, but they've been partly replaced by strategy guides because of, because of course the companies want, they would love it if you could go out and spend more money, you know, it's not just enough to spend, you know, $40, $50 on a game. They want you to go out and spend another 20, 30, another 25 bucks on the guide. And then to make it even worse, then they come out with the collector's edition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And some, now sometimes the strategy guides, they can be helpful one good example um did you ever see the final fantasy 6 strategy guide yes you know that one's very very helpful of course because there's a lot of little secrets in that game but one part that i always thought was helpful uh remember the coliseum oh yeah you know it it helped you plan ahead because you know let's say okay if you bet this item this is what you're going to get this is who you're going to face so that was helpful because then you didn't have to actually go into the Coliseum to randomly lose items until you found the item you needed. Yeah. And, or much less come across a, a monster and you're like, uh, my guy ain't doing nothing to it. Yeah. Another game that I'm, I've just now, I've just seen this particular strategy guide and, and I paged through it, but I never bought it. And that was Knights of the Old Republic 2. One of the things that was helpful about that is the game did have some very complex things going on. See, one of the things that you do in uh, Knights of the Old Republic, too, is you have to in try to influence your traveling companions. And I think we covered this a little bit in our show on, on alignments. But the, the strategy guide would tell you different ways and different scenarios where you can influence your companions, which can be helpful if, like, let's say you want to turn this character into a Jedi, you know that, okay, if this character is with me during this scenario, this is what I should say if I want to gain influence. If I say this, I'm going to lose influence. Um, it's also going to be helpful because I believe it also told you, okay, if you say this thing, You'll get light side points. If you say this thing, you'll get dark side points. I thought that was a, another game where it would be very helpful to have a strategy guide. You know, of course, you could also figure it out yourself, but that would... Yeah, that's trial and error. And you didn't want to go save right before, go talk to the guy, and pick the selection, and you're like, oh, I didn't want that. Then you had to reload and start that entire conversation over again and pick a different selection. Yep, and but yeah, those are the only two strategy guides I've seen that have really stood out in my mind. I mean, I'm sure, of course, there's been others that have. Uh, oh yeah, I know Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Uh, my friend Dan has the game, and he, I think, either he had it or his little brother had the strategy guide. So that was again one of those books that was kind of fun to read. Well, as we close the topic, a couple of final thoughts is. One thing that's interesting about video game manuals is some genres actually have different needs and different things that are best covered in that particular manual. Uh, let's start with fighting game. A couple of the fighting games, everyone knows the Street Fighter. And there's also Dead or Alive, Tekken. Mortal Kombat. You know, Mortal Kombat. All those type of games have, you know, a character. And then... Some of the instruction manuals would have, you know, for some of the basic moves, how to pull them off or what you need to do to pull them off. Yeah, and that was always very helpful because 
I know a lot of games I've seen, which people sometimes refer to as Street Fighter II clones, they use very similar uh, moves. Like, uh, for example, uh, down, down towards, towards, and then an attack button. You know, of course, in Street Fighter II, that's what you would use to throw a fireball. And I've seen other games also use, uh, you know, the same sequences like that, or, you know, or down, down away, back. Or another common move, you know, hold uh, back for a couple seconds and then forward and press an attack button. One game that I think really needed a very good instruction manual, though, Mortal Kombat. Have you ever played any of the Mortal Kombat games? Yeah, I played a few of them. Because with Mortal Kombat, one of the things I've noticed about the Mortal Kombat games I've played, I personally felt the Street Fighter controls were more fluid than the Mortal Kombat controls. And the Mortal Kombat games I played anyway, they usually didn't use the, you know, the same movements. So, you know, a down, down towards, towards, and punch didn't necessarily do anything in a, in the street, in a Mortal Kombat game. Whereas, of course, anyone who's played Street Fighter 2 or any game that's considered a Street Fighter 2 clone, you knew, of course, that's probably going to throw a fireball or do some sort of ranged attack. Role-playing games, I know we've talked about these, that uh, usually they need a pretty good instruction manual because, you know, you want to make sure that the person understands the different spells and um, how to equip items. Um, also, it's helpful if the game includes a fold-out map and also includes a weapon chart or an equipment chart that shows you the attack and defense values of different types of weapon and armor. See, side-scrolling shoot-em-ups, puzzle games, those I found usually didn't need as much because they're usually pretty simple. I mean, you take a game like Gradius or Life Force, well, you just fly from one side of the screen to the other and shoot things. Not exactly rocket science. Um, side-scrollers, did you ever play Mitch in the way of side-scrollers? I played a few of them. But... Usually I found side-scrollers, even though they're fairly similar to side-scrolling shoot-em-ups, uh, usually the side-scrolling games have a little bit more strategy to them. Uh, good example, like in a lot of the Castlevania games, there's a bit more strategy with the items you might choose, um, especially with ones on the portable, but I'm not really going to touch that right now because someday I would like to do an entire episode just on the Castlevania games. Uh, did you ever play many first-person shooters? Because I know that's the genre that I never really played too much of. Pretty much when I played them, it was, you know, at work, got nothing really to do. It's a weekend duty, so guys were playing, like, Call of Duty or Halo-type games. And that'd be the only time I've really played t those type of games. Yeah, because with shoot-em-ups... First, I'm not sorry, not shoot-em-ups. First-person shooters... You know, again, that seems like a type of a game where you usually there's not as much depth of play. I'm sure there's probably going to be people that disagree with me, but I admit I don't play first-person shooters very often, so I'm not, I don't consider myself an expert on them. I know, but of course, usually you want to know okay which trigger you press to you know to shoot, and of course, what do they call it when you're like still face the same direction but you move to the side side step side step or strafe i think is another term they use um 
but yeah, that's about, oh yeah, sports games. I personally have never been too much in the sport games. What about you? Eh, not really. Yeah, I mean. I've played a few so I could play with a couple friends when we played multiplayer, but that'd be pretty much it. Yeah, and the sports games, I definitely see that you need a pretty well-written manual for that, um, especially since, you know, in the later eras, you know, the sport games are getting a lot more comp, you know, a lot more complex than they were back in the, you know, the days of the 8-bit Nintendo and the Sega Master System yeah. and those games. Well, those are about all the topics I can think of regarding video game instruction manuals. Um, so do you have anything else to add before we end the show today, Steve? No, don't don't really have any right now. So we hope you enjoyed this uh, topic. Again, probably not going to be one of our more thought-provoking topics. Just This was just more of a topic that Steve and I decided we'd give a try because uh, when we were talking... Yeah, better to do. Yeah, and we were talking once and uh, just talking about video games and I... Uh, Remember we were talking about the Legend of Zelda and how, you know, that the video game manual for Legend of Zelda was, as I said before, it was a work of art. It was actually very well done for its its time. So that's what kind of gave us the idea. Hey, let's talk a little bit more about video game instruction manuals. Yep. So, I'd like to thank you again for uh, joining us for another episode. Please visit poigamestudio.com. Uh, also, please feel free to uh, visit our my page on Facebook. Let's uh, look up Point of Insanity Game Studio. Feel free to like the page. And have a good evening or morning or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are. Happy games.